Hello everybody, my name is Andy and I'm welcoming you to another episode of UFOs and Other Paranormal Stuff. First of all, I'd like to wish you all a very, very happy new year. I hope that 2022 was a good one for you, but I hope that 2023 will be even better. Don't forget to have a look at our website, www.ufosandops.com, where you will see a contact form. You can contact the show directly there. You can contact me. You can also have a look at the shop. Uh, we can buy t-shirts, mugs and stuff. And also, they've got all the previous... Uh, episodes there in video form and in audio form. Talking about the video podcast, uh, unfortunately I've decided that it's going to come to an end in the format that it is in and it's going to revert back to what it was before. Uh, so no in-picture sort of videos of me talking to you basically. The reason is because just to do the video part of the podcast was very, very time-consuming when you have to do all the research for the podcast and all the recordings and then all the uploads, blah, 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 all the graphics as well. It was very, very time-consuming and basically had to free up a lot of time uh, by stop doing the video podcast. You will get videos still on there, but there will not be basically showing me. However, if there is a special that we do, uh, like in Pluckley or other specials, they will be in video form and you will be able to see everything and everybody on them. Another change to the show is that I've decided that season three will be the season where we begin to get guests on. Uh, so what I want you to do is to go onto the website and uh, contact me there with any guest suggestions uh, that you might have for the show. That would be a real help and I'll do whatever I can uh, to get them on to the show. I have already had one or two suggestions given to me by, of all people, Mr Philip Mantle, uh, who works for Befora, uh, the British UFO Research Association, and uh, David Hodrian, who works for the Bufog, which is the Birmingham UFO group. So I'll be I'll be having I'll be contacting a few people. But yeah, just let me know your ideas on uh, guests, please. Thank you. Now onto this episode, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to be talking about the Warminster thing. And Warminster is a lovely town down in the southwest of England, in the county of Wiltshire. Of course. You will, you, you will all know about Wiltshire because that peaceful county is the host of many interesting and paranormal things such as Stonehenge, for instance. Wiltshire is also one of the most active hotspots, UFO hotspots in Europe, with UFO sightings, crop circles and strange noises being reported to the local authorities since the 1950s at least. But it is an event that occurred back in the 1960s that we will look into today. That event is known locally and nationally as the Warminster thing. You will notice there that I did not say the Warminster UFO, Warminster UFO flap or Warminster po uh, poltergeist. I said the Warminster thing. It is called the Warminster thing because it couldn't really have been put down to just UFOs or any other paranormal thing only. Or could it? Back in 1964, the farmers of Devon, 
experienced a lot of break-ins to their isolated farm buildings. A police superintendent arranged for one patrol cart to be taken from its usual duties of patrolling the Oakhampton Town Centre to keeping an eye out in the farm areas to try and apprehend those who were breaking into the farm buildings and causing damage. Two police constables chosen to do that duty protested to the sergeant upon clocking in to start their shift, but nevertheless they had to they had their orders and they would follow them to the letter. Midway through their uneventful patrol of the farmlands, the two constables decided that they would now head back to the police station for a little break. They turned the car around, then suddenly PC Willie stopped the car in the middle of the road on this dark night. The other man, PC Waycott, asked, Why have you stopped the car? Willie was pointing to something outside of the vehicle, up and in front of them. A strange light hovered in the night sky just ahead of their car. What was it? Both officers later described it as a series of lights in the shape of a cross. They went on to say that it sped off when it seemed to have become aware of the two men. They were seeing what became known as the Devon Flying Cross. Waycott updated the control room and Willie set off in pursuit of the object that they estimate was travelling at about 1,000 feet above the ground. Travelling at 90 miles an hour, the police car was unable to keep up with the UFO. They followed the object for an hour, stopping only to confirm with other road users uh, that they had seen the object as well. The officers believed that the UFO was being controlled, but also that its controller was very much aware that this police car was following it. The UFO succeeded in losing its police tail. Many residents had seen the object and written in or called to the RAF to ask what it was. The RAF made repeated statements saying that they were not involved in the incident in any way. The locals grew very concerned that something very sinister might have been responsible for what they had seen. They had reason to be concerned. This was, after all, the same region of the country, southwest England, that about a hundred years ago had been visited during winter nights by a mysterious being, one that had left footprints in the snow that locals had called the Devil's Footprints, as mentioned on the previous episode of this podcast. Locals had never forgotten about that. But two years prior to this incident, a neighbouring county had been terrorised by a mysterious force, and that force may have made an unwanted return to the southwest. That force is what we now know as the Warminster thing. Warminster is a garrison town and it sits not too far away from Stonehenge and the Salisbury Plain military training area. It is a historic town originally settled by Romans and of course the site of many battles during the English Civil War. But it was in the last days of 1964 that the town came under national and international spotlight following a series of strange events. 25th of December 1964, Christmas Day. Mildred Head, a resident of Warminster, was woken up by a strange noise coming from the roof of her house. 
It sounded like someone was dragging a branch of a tree across the tiles of the house's roof. But then the noise developed into a thudding, as if large hailstones were falling onto the roof. Mrs. Head went went to a window to see the rain on the street below, but there was no rain, there was no hailstones, the skies overhead were calm and clear. But the noise continued, then changed to a low hum, which itself increased in volume. She had to cover her ears to drown out the sound. The noise went on for around 15 minutes before gradually dissipating altogether. That same morning, Mrs. Marjorie Bai experienced a frightening attack on her senses when making her way to Christchurch on Deverill Road in the town centre. This being Christmas Day, the roads were empty. She made her way onto the church grounds a little late for the start of the Christmas service. As she got onto the grounds of Christchurch, she stopped suddenly upon hearing a distant echoes of cackling laughter coming from the Bell Hill area of Warminster. This horrible sound seemed to get closer to Mrs. By, increasing in volume until its effects virtually paralysed the woman. Mrs. By later reported that she had been assaulted by a non-stop series of strange vibrations and shockwaves that seemed to bang her head and shoulders. She said that she found it physically difficult to move. Nevertheless, she attempted to move on and get into the church, and after a few very difficult footsteps, Mrs. By seemingly broke free of this invisible force and made her way into the building. Marjorie By told her friends in the church what had happened, and her story went around the town reaching the offices of the Warminster Journal, the local newspaper, a few days later. One of the people working on the story at the newspaper back then was Mr Arthur Shuttlewood. He was contacted by over 45 people, each of whom had said that they too had experienced something similar to that of what Mrs By had experienced. One of them was Mr Roger Rump, who lived very close to Christchurch. He stated that the same morning... He had been awoken from a deep sleep after hearing a tremendous clatter coming from the roof of his house. Mr Rump said that it sounded like all of the tiles were being lifted individually and then slammed back down. After a minute, this changed to a high-pitched hum. That hum went on for about another minute before it stopped just as quickly as it had started. But the most compelling report came from not another member of the public, but from the armed forces stationed near to Warminster. Nook Camp near Nook and Hatesbury Villages was an army base back in the 1960s and is still used by the Ministry of Defence now. An army sergeant based at Nook Camp was approached by some of his men in confidence after reading the newspaper article about the things that had happened in Warminster. They told the sergeant that they too had been awoken on Christmas Day by a deafening sound that seemed to come from the sky. They described the noise as being like a chimney stack was being smashed to pieces and the ruins being strewn all around the place in the car park 
exercise areas everywhere. But as the soldiers got up to see what the commotion was, they found nothing out of the ordinary. A week or two later, an officer from Nook Camp contacted the same newspaper to confidentially share a strange event that he had experienced. His story was that late one evening he was returning to the base from a formal engagement. While driving his car near to a woods called Colloway Clump, the engine stopped and all of the electrics cut out. The vehicle started to vibrate. The vibrations increased in intensity, shaking the car and its lonely occupant. He started to feel a huge build-up of pressure in his forehead, which he described as if it was a heavy force pushing down on him from above. The electrical hum came from nowhere and rose in volume before it suddenly cut out. Only a few moments later did the car's engine come back to life and the electrics came back on. There was no sign of anything out of the ordinary. Just after New Year in 1965, more reports came into Arthur Shuttlewood. One stated that they had woken up to find lots of pigeons dead in their garden, yet there was no sign of on the bodies of the birds as to what might have caused them to die. More reports of sonic attacks were being reported, but these fresh reports had something extra in them now. That was that the sonic attacks were accompanied by strange lights in the sky. A lorry driver again driving near to Colloway Clump heard the electrical hum. A few minutes later a ball of light came down from out of the sky and turned speeding towards the truck. The light swerved away from the truck at the last minute and disappeared. Rachel Atwell had been awoken from sleep by an awful noise. Getting up to look outside she saw a light hovering about 600 feet above the ground. Atwell, whilst watching the light, started to get a severe headache, the pressure of which grew in strength. The headache quickly eased and at the same time the UFO vanished. Come the summer of 1965 and the reports started to come in from multiple witnesses. Lake Shearwater, not far from Warminster, was a popular fishing area. 17 people who were at the lake reported seeing a cigar-shaped UFO moving at incredible speed and with a strange sound. The final sighting was at Christmas in 1965, a year since the, since the whole thing started. Since the Warminster thing, many have tried to theorise what might have actually happened. Wiltshire and its neighbouring counties are hotspots for weirdness. Some people believe that there are many ley lines in that part of the country, all of which seem connected to or terminate at Stonehenge. They believe that the ley lines generate forces which can move things forwards and backwards in time or act as navigational devices, if you like, for aliens. Some has even postulated that the military might have been trying out some new top secret uh, equipment like sonic weaponry which is now used in the battlefield. The Ministry of Defence, of course, has denied this. Well, they would though, wouldn't they? The lights in the sky could have been from nighttime military training and explosions made by artillery on the ground could have explained the dead pigeons and other wildlife and why there was no visible cause of death on the bodies. 
It does not explain the lights that were seen to be still and right in front of the houses by the witnesses who saw them. Of course, some thought that these events and the subsequent media scrutiny was all staged to bring more visitors to the town and to increase Warminster's local economy. Mr Arthur Shuttlewood, the man who reported all of these goings-on in the local newspaper, wrote some books on the incidents in, uh, in and around Warminster. The Warminster Mystery, The Flying Sorcerers and More UFOs Over Warminster being amongst them. Shuttlewood also gave many lectures on the phenomenon and also arranged mass UFO watching events which still go on to this day and have not failed to provide UFO watching moments. A report of one I will tell you in a few moments. Whether the incidents that occurred in Warminster back in the 1960s were military training or actual UFO events, we may never know. One thing is for certain though, and that is that they have placed Warminster firmly on the UFO map. There was even a nightclub in the town called the UFO, and recently a mural was unveiled in the town centre to mark the 50th anniversary of the incidents. With each passing year, the events that took place on, in Warminster nearly 60 years ago look set to remain a mystery. A little while ago, I mentioned the UFO watching events that take place at Warminster. Just like those organised by Arthur Shuttlewood back in the 1960s, people would gather in some areas in the outskirts of the town and spend a night or two looking at the sky, in the hope of catching a UFO or two. It just so happens that I've been sent a report of a sighting that was made during one of these watches, as they still go on even up to, well, up to last year, I believe. The report was written and sent to me by Mr David Hodrian, the chairman of Bufog, the Birmingham UFO Group. The report can be found at www.bufog.com alongside many more. Here is David Hodrian's report in full. 29th of August 2009. Warminster. Skywatch UFO. Bufog Chairman Sighting. Updated on August the 25th, 2019. Birmingham UFO Group Case Report. Author David Hodrian. Release date 3rd of September 2009. Introduction. I have been interested in UFOs for over 20 years now and have been investigating sightings for a year and a half. I have heard of many fascinating encounters with UFOs and alien beings from the very people that have experienced them. However, in all this time I have never seen anything I could truly say was unusual and unidentified. That was all to change for me on the evening of Saturday the 29th of August 2009, where I would at long last have a first-hand sighting of a UFO. And of all the places I would have this first sighting, it would be during a skywatch on Cradle Hill in Warminster, one of the UK's biggest UFO hotspots. The Skywatch 
the UFO Skywatch was arranged as part of the Weird 09 Paranormal Conference, which took place on the 29th to the 30th of August in 2009 in the Athenaeum Theatre in Warminster. It was organised to kick off several hours after the first day of lectures had ended, and the designated location was Cradle Hill, just to the north of the town. This has been a popular location for UFO skywatches since the late 1970s when the famous Warminster UFO flap took place. At 8 o'clock in the evening, at least 40 people left the town and drove up Cradle Hill to the area where the White Gates used to be. This area gives a great view of the sky in all the directions and is the traditional meet-up location on the hill. The area is right next to Ministry of Defence owned land and the organisers of the Skywatch had informed them that we would go up there. The road heading uphill from where the White Gates stood until recent years leads to the Cops and a small wooded area where a lot of unusual activity and sightings have been recorded. It's about now in the report that uh, Mr Hodrian has included some photographs of himself with other members of Bufog, uh, other members meeting up, as well as the area where the White Gates were and Cradle Hill itself. Light Flashes Incident It was approximately 11pm and the cloud had mostly cleared from the sky, giving a fantastic view of the stars above. Earlier I had been up at the Cops but had now returned to the area of the White Gates. There were at least 20 other people remaining, although some had decided to head back down to Warminster Town by this point. Suddenly, to the north, northeast, in the distance, we started to notice what looked like a bright blue and white flashes of light which seemed to light up the sky and reflect off the bottom of what cloud there was. There were some low-lying hills in the distance and the flashes seemed to be coming from beyond these. I would usually assume such activity to be a distant thunderstorm. There was no sound whatsoever, but sheet lightning is known to be silent. However, the weather was very clear and dry, so this seems very unlikely. Some more photographs follow this, showing the area of Cradle Hill where uh, the lights were seen from. The flashes continued irregularly for about 10 to 15 minutes, sometimes within a second of each other, other times longer. As we watched, the flashes seemed to get brighter and more prominent. It did not look like a floodlight flickering on and off. If it was a distant firework display over the brow of a far hill, surely the flashes would have been different colours. Also, it is unlikely anyone would have fireworks display at 11pm at night, so therefore I believe this is not an adequate explanation. The flashes of light were probably caused by something mundane, but were still interesting and certainly caught everybody's attention. On the 2nd of September, I was informed that there had been a rave at a nearby Quebec farm, However, this farm lies directly east of Warminster. The flashes of light were clearly seen to the north-northeast, so this cannot have been the cause. A photo follows that, showing where the direction or the location of the Quebec farm. UFO sighting details 
At approximately 11.30pm, most of the remaining people on Cradle Hill were situated at the White Gates area. The weather was very clear, with only a light breeze, and there was a full star-filled sky above our heads. The moon was visible to the southwest. All of a sudden, someone remarked that an RAF jet was approaching. I looked around and saw a white light to the south, heading in a north-northeast direction. There was a dark shape behind the light, but it was hard to see clearly against the night sky. As the object got closer to our position, all of a sudden the white light flared up extremely brightly and then immediately died back down. I could then make out a dark green-blue coloured light on the object. It was completely unlike the normal bright green navigation lights seen on an aircraft. Others actually described this light as being blue, but I clearly saw it as a mix of green and blue. Several seconds later, the white light flared back up again, completely obscuring the green-blue light. It continued in this fashion for the remainder of the sighting. Note, in the below drawings, I have not drawn the actual object behind the lights as it was too dark clearly to see its shape. Of course, if you go on the website, you will see the drawings that uh, Mr. Hodrian has made. The object was moving quite fast, I would say at least a few hundred miles per hour. I estimate it was about 1,000 feet high, but this was quite hard to judge. It certainly looked faster than a normal plane would appear at that height. It was more like the speed of a military jet. However, for the duration of the sighting, the object was completely silent. We had heard other passenger aircraft throughout the evening at a much greater distance than this object appeared to be. The object flew within a mile of our position at a constant speed. As it got to roughly east of us, it appeared to start to slow down. A number of people shouted out that it was doing this. However, I believe it was not slowing down, but it was merely changing its direction in a gradual curve. It did this until it looked as if it was stationary, but was actually heading away from our position to the north-east-east. We continued to watch the object for several minutes. Even once the green-blue coloured light was no longer visible due to the distance, we could still make out the bright white flaring light for roughly one minute longer. When I saw the object, I assumed that I was mistaking a jet of some kind for something more unusual, although I found it very odd that I could not hear any sound coming from it. However, when I asked everyone else present, including a number of experienced researchers, what they had made of it, everyone was as mystified as I was. On the report on the website, there now follows video footage... My friend from Fairham UFO Research Group attempted to record the object. Sadly, the only thing that can be made out is the lights from the nearby MOD facility. However, you can hear me briefly discussing it with him as it is approaching our position. You can see the footage to this on YouTube. I will put a link to that in the program notes. UFO sighting analysis. It seems very unlikely that the object was a normal aircraft or helicopter, either military or non-military. 
the colour of the green-blue light was different to any normal navigation lights seen on aircraft. Also, the white flaring light was something I had never seen before. The fact that we could hear aircraft at a much greater distance before and after the sighting proves that the object was either silent or emitting a sound too quiet to hear. The report goes on to detail a list of various lights usually installed on aircraft and how the object we saw differed from them. The report also goes on to say, so if the object wasn't a normal aircraft, what else could it have been? It possibly could have been a hoax created by someone who knew the Skywatch was taking place. However, if it was a remote-controlled object, it was certainly flying very fast, and surely the engine used to power this would have made a loud noise. Also, the object flew completely into the distance, so there would have needed to be a very long range on the remote control. Possibly it was some sort of secret military aircraft or remote-controlled drone. Cradle Hill is right next to the Army-owned land, after all. However, it seems unlikely that they would fly right over the town of Warminster and then display this to a group of people who would then go on and talk about it to everyone. The object was certainly within the atmosphere rather than out in space. The regular flaring light, constant speed and changing of direction means it cannot have been a natural explanation such as a meteorite or earth lights, or swamp gas as they usually like to say. Therefore, currently the object cannot be identified and is a valid UFO sighting. If anyone has any information about what this object was or recognises the light colours and patterns, please contact me via email or phone. Mysterious yellow light incident. At roughly midnight, there were about 10 people remaining on Cradle Hill. We were scanning the skies and watching several satellites on their paths. I was facing towards the west and chatting with my friends from Fairham UFO Research Group. Suddenly, someone in the group to our left shouted, Look at that! I quickly turned round and saw what looked like a long, thin, glowing yellow area of light that swept across the light cloud to the east. It only lasted a split second before vanishing. People that had seen the whole thing said it moved to the left and then quickly back to the right. We were mystified as to what had caused the light. A couple of minutes went by and suddenly it returned as a stationary light. It then moved a short distance to the left before vanishing again. Soon afterwards it reappeared and remained for a while. It was now that we realised what the light was. It was a searchlight coming up from the nearby MOD facility. We assumed that the people manning the uh, facility had put the light on for a laugh as they were aware the sky watch was taking place. There seems to be no other reason why they would have done this so late at night. Maybe they were looking for the UFO that you were seeing before, possibly. Soon afterwards, myself and friends decided to call it a night and we left Cradle Hill. There are, of course, some other witness statements that you can read on the website. When a number of witnesses all experience something unusual, their accounts on what occurred may differ from each other just slightly, as you will see with the following statements by some of the, f of the other people present on the Skywatch. 
in reviewing all of the accounts together, it is possible to come up with a clear picture of what actually occurred. If you'd like to read the rest of those statements uh, from the other people, uh, do visit the Bufog website. I don't actually have permission, haven't actually asked for permission uh, from the other people to, uh, to broadcast their witness statements, so I'm not going to do it here. Conclusion. I was astounded that on the organised Weird 09 Skywatch, we had actually seen some unusual and unexplained things. I had expected to only see satellites and the occasional shooting star. The flashes of light at 11pm were interesting, but the main sighting of the night was definitely the object with the unusual lights on. After so many years of searching, it looks like I may well have finally experienced something that will remain unexplained. I will certainly not hesitate to return to Cradle Hill in the future. Who knows what further sightings may lie ahead. And with that, I'd really like to thank you, uh, Mr. David Hodrian, for sending us that report. Tell us what you think about that, people. As always, go to our website, www.ufosandops.com, and you'll be able to send me a message from there, and I can relate that back to uh, David Hodrian. I think that it is a very interesting and detailed report. If you visit the Bufog's website, bufog.com, you will be able to see the pictures and the videos that are mentioned in the report. Have a look and tell me what you think. On to some news now. I was watching The Unexplained with Howard Hughes the other day and he mentioned some UFO news related to Joe Biden, the President of the United States of America. That news is that the President Biden has apparently signed off an investigation into a UFO crash that happened in the United States of America in 1945, two years before the Roswell crash that sparked the whole UFO thing. It has been dubbed the Roswell before Roswell. According to MSN, a military spending bill signed by President Biden has been amended to include the 1945 case of an avocado-shaped craft that crashed near a place called Trinity near to San Antonio in Texas in the USA. It goes on to say, Astronomer Jacques Vallée wrote a book about the suspected UFO allegedly piloted by four-foot-tall aliens with big bulgy eyes who looked like praying mantises. Based on interviews with the three witnesses, a B-52 bomber pilot, the son of a rancher on whose land it crashed, and his friend. The Daily Star says that one of the witnesses, Jose Padilla, now 86 years old, said, Strange-looking creatures were moving around inside. They moved fast, as if they were able to will themselves from one position to the other, in an instant. He also claimed that the soldiers took the 25 by 14 foot craft away, very soon after. That is very intriguing, isn't it? What is also quite intriguing, ladies and gentlemen, is the fact that this took place very close to White Sands in New Mexico. The places where the first atomic bomb codename Trinity, was tested that very same year, in fact, 1945. But surely this is all just coincidence. I believe the book about the incident, written by Jacques Vallée and Paola Harris, 
is called Trinity, The Best Kept Secret, and is out on Amazon and on Kindle for your reading pleasure. And I have heard that there is an updated version out as well, so give it a read. I'm going to. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of UFOs and Other Paranormal Stuff, and thank you very much for sticking with us uh, with the podcast during 2022. Please do give me your guest suggestions. It is about time that this podcast did uh, start getting guests on, and I would really like to see who you think would be good for the podcast. Do have a look at the website, www.ufosandops.com, where you can contact me directly. You can get all of the podcasts and vodcast episodes that have come out previously, and you can also access our shop that sells T-shirts, other bits and bobs that you, you can proudly use to tell your friends and family that you believe in the existence of aliens and UFOs. And if you want to, you can also make a donation to the show, which all helps the show keep going. All that is left for me to do is to say to you all the very best and stay in touch and I will speak to you very soon. Bye bye now. Take care. <laughs>